Hello everyone, Robbie here and welcome back to the Coach's Journey podcast. This is episode number 17 and the guest today is Kathy Presland. Uh, Kathy is a former international economist and policy advisor turned three principles coach. She spent over 20 years as an advisor to governments and international organizations around the world, including seven years as a development economist in Southern Africa. And then in her mid-40s, she left a job she loved for reasons that she can't quite describe when I ask her that, about the time when both her and her partner decided to leave their secure jobs together at the same time. After that, having previously dipped into the teachings of Michael Neal, a challenge from a mastermind partner prompted her to take another look at coaching, and that was when she really dived in, including training with Michael Neal on the Supercoach Academy, uh, and all the way to these days, working with clients in leadership roles and in the arena of social change. Um, It's a great, wide-ranging conversation, which enables both me and Kathy, and, and one of the things I love talking about her is she, like me, is someone who's interested in big systems thinking and in about the individuals and humans and, and how we work. And that means we get into uh, why we lose our way when we talk about politics, as well as some really practical stuff like uh, the joy of making it up and how she structures her coaching pra- packages with real freedom. Um, we get to talk about how we can listen for signals um, the paradoxical nature of it and how what we pay attention and what we ignore really comes back to the question of am I being my higher self which is something that, that Kathy, um, Kathy brings into this conversation but people who know my work will know that one of the books that I'm working on you can read some um, previews of that at robbieswalecoaching.com is really about answering that question uh, and we also get into some of the things we get too attached to Uh, including our lived experience, the personal nature of creation and the God of intellect, which many of us worship. Um, We get into why Kathy does often starts her work with a three-day intensive and the advantages of that. But we also get into some absolute classic bits of conversation, including um, which way the forks go in the dishwasher and why that can be really important in relationships um, and the simplicity at the heart of parenting and and how it's really just about pouring love on the child. Um, yeah, we, we get to indulge our various musings in this conversation. You know, it's great for me. I get to bring in some of my favourite uh, thinkers and writers on uh, kind of politics, on how the world works, like Jonathan Haidt and Jordan Hall. Um, and I think this is interesting because it's not... There's an insight that coaching can give us and the way we think about our conversations can give us into the way that the cultural conversation works. And it's really nice that we touch in on that. We spend quite a lot of the conversation um, talking about something which we give different names to and, and Kathy at the end says beautifully that in some ways it's uh, it's the most important conversation but it's not about the specific words. So when we're talking about sovereignty or love or the higher self or attunement, you know, really what we're touching into is this magic power we have when we're in total presence in our coaching about how we know what to say and what to do but also how we uh, as humans can live life. How do we know when things are going off the reins, off the rails? Uh, and how do we know when we are being our best skillful, skillful self? Uh, and for those who want the really practical stuff about coaching, it's worth saying we, we touch on that as we go, but we really get into it in the last 50 minutes or so of the call. So if, if, you, if you're just here for how Kathy's coaching practice works, feel free to skip straight there. Um, before that, though, there's plenty of stuff. There's, there's things about coronavirus. And of course, this was recorded. We, we get into when this was recorded, but it, it's coming out a few months after it was recorded. That's all left in, partly because that's how I work on this podcast and partly because um, 
it's important to have that snapshot in time and, and it'll help us as we move on and as the coronavirus situation develops. Uh, for those who are interested in more about the three principles and haven't listened yet, episode 16 with Jamie Smart. Jamie's work is also based on, on those ideas. In both those conversations, we both get into some of what that means, but also, and at the end of this conversation, Kathy does it, it beautifully, gets to some pointers about if you want to learn more about what that means and where to go to. I'm far from an expert, but we get some of that expertise from Kathy in this conversation and Jamie in the previous one, uh, which, as you'll hear in this conversation, what Jamie's one was recorded after, but was released before. And then the only other thing to say before we dive in is for those uh, who are interested, who enjoyed the episode with Marsha Reynolds, which was released a few months ago, the coaching program that she mentioned um, in the uh, in that episode about taking the learnings from her decades of experience and throwing them out into the world, um, in both in the book, Coach the Person, Not the Problem, and then in this program, Breakthrough Coaching. That program is now launched and when this podcast comes out, I'm pretty sure the early bird offer is still on. So if you're interested in that, I'll put a link to that in the show notes or uh, at thecoachesjourney.com on the episode page uh, for that episode and this one. Um, But uh, without further ado, I'm really excited to let you into this episode of the Coach's Journey podcast with Kathy Presland. So Kathy, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. Thanks, Robbie. It was so funny, as you were saying, like, let's take a couple of minutes of silence, a couple of breaths of silence just yeah. for the intro. I realised that what I hadn't told you is that I've got my son in the next room and he started sneezing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I said this on one of my other episodes, but I, I had like a moment of worry midway through one interview where I was like, I put a wash on. And our flat is, you know, it's not, I'm not, I'm, a, I'm in the far corner of the flat from the washing machine. It's not that big a flat. And I was suddenly like, I've got no idea if the mic is going to pick this up. Um, normally also, um, because this, some people might watch this on video, there's usually a wind chime hanging here, which oh, I yeah. took down yesterday because the wind was blowing too much, but, um, but I've realized it's, it's down. Otherwise that would be a nice little like meditation bell, which perhaps your son's sneezing can be for you to bring you back to presence when, uh, <laughs> I did I did uh, not in this house we moved about a year and a half ago but in the last house I had a a room with a like French doors onto the guard and I remember being in a coaching conversation and it's probably about this time of year with the doors open and we were just in that really lovely quiet space and the birds my client said to me she said should is that like a tape that you've got on with birds (laughs) yeah it was so yeah so beautiful it's great. Sorry, that just makes me think that in the uh, we're you know we're, so we're recording this in um, what is it like the middle of oh, June yeah. this um, time it, of year. Yeah, it what probably won't, yeah it probably won't go out for a little while. But we're also in, still in kind of semi lockdown. Um, pre- I'm saying still, hopefully, as though when this if this comes out in a couple of months, you know everything's better and we might be free moving around. But as part of that, I've been doing some exercise in my flat, like because I can't go to the gym. And my friend Paul has some like he has a health business and runs some little has some little youtube videos which he started doing during this for but he does them in his garden in lancashire and i just love it because there's so much bird song in darwin at the moment as far as i know and i know that because i i'm in paul's garden like once or twice a week which is great it's a really nice part of it it's so interesting isn't it just you know i don't know if that's a good place to start or not but just seeing the flourishing of ideas that people are just getting on and creating new videos and 
and it feels like we it's what day of the week it is tuesday so we were out for a walk on sunday my husband does a more of a kind of nine to five monday to friday thing so weekends seem to be a bit more important too and then for me where i just <laughs> do whatever i want any day of the week but so we're out for a walk on sunday and it felt really aware of more people being out in nature and more people being around and I was musing, I don't know if this is true, this is just a Kathy musing, but I was musing on the notion that well, we take, you know, we take retail away, like all the shops in the UK have closed apart from food shops and they're just reopening again this week. But isn't it interesting how it's completely obvious to fill our lives with stuff that is kind of natural and harmonious? <laughs> and I suspect slightly rose-tinted Kathy musings, <laughs> but... But yeah, like people don't need to be told what to do. They just all these people out walking who we don't see on, you know, we're, we're regular walkers and definitely more people than you doing fitness and your friend creating videos. And it's just brilliant. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a, you know, there's some connection, isn't there, between restrictions and innovation. It's like, okay, there's been a load of restrictions, but a load of people like Paul, like the walkers thinking, well, how do I feel good or how do we, I exercise yeah. or what do I do today and it's like well I live in this part of the countryside and we passed yeah we passed a family and I kind of stopped them intentionally because I was curious because there were it's normally a walk where we get a lot of dog walkers and not you know it's not a kind of family walk um and so this was a family out sort of young teenage kids I'd say mum and dad and so I just you know, stopped and said oh how far have you walked today and so she she got the book and she said oh we're walking the Cotswolds way in sections we do this is like and obviously she was like halfway through and she was really proud you know just she just invented this project for the family and it was fantastic yeah yeah and it's amazing like yeah my friends have, who have been you know a daily walk with yeah. the two little girls you know yeah. one of my friends it's like oh well I wonder how how it will. I'm sure in some way it will, but I wonder how that will live on as life kind of settles back to normal. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing my husband kind of he moaned about the class of carers, and then he moaned about the class of carers not happening last Thursday when he was like, was such a moaner. But it's kind of, and I'm like, yeah, I think people just decided to stop. You know, it's a, and then actually I read yesterday that apparently it was a conscious thing stopping, but who knows? But yeah, like like I, I want to bring this back to I guess with a coaching perspective that you said restriction creates innovation. And I think it's the fact of, and again, by the way, just take everything I say as personal opinion, not like fact, but <laughs> preface that at the beginning of the call. It's the, it's the fact that the restriction kind of knocks us out of habits. That's how it seems to me that we have a, you know, we're on tracks of conditioned ways of thinking and doing things. And it's almost a sudden shake is, oh gosh, I'm not on that track anymore. It's not, it's not the fact of restriction. We can have that insight in any moment, um, but restriction seems to do a little bit of shaking and so therefore opens up possibilities. But we don't need to become attached to the new habits at all. We can right. change again in any moment. And, uh, and what do you think that shake does? Is it that it gives us more choice? You know, it's kind of like we've seen that we could be walking the Cotswold Way on Sundays now because we can kind of jolt it out of our habits or... What does that jolt give us? Yeah, and you, I, 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 I'm going to say yes to that, and I'm going to say I'm going to put like a heavy. This is my personal opinion <laughs> on this because this is something I've actually thought about. Uh, and mm. I think with the in the we're recording this as you say in the middle of June, and with the very recent conversations around racism, difference, all of that, and um, I know you want to get into the 
my story part, but I was an economist for, for I trained as an economist. I've got, you know, multiple degrees in economics and development economics. So for the first part of my career, I focused a lot on kind of concrete stuff in the world, usually around poverty and inequality. I worked overseas for, for a few years. And so I've been, so, so that kind of reflection about choices has, has been coming back to me more recently with the clearly circumstances affect people's lives like clearly that's that's obvious but what is the connection between what as coaches we're generally working with which is freedom of mind and encouraging people to see that choice is ever present so I, so I don't know this is a feels like a bit of a half-formed mm. theory in my head and very much a Kathy theory but but I think the answer to that question is probably yes is that we all of us see life in a certain way. We're on a certain path that's inevitably conditioned by, you know, upbringing, what we've done and any amount of things. And then there's this other space, which is 100% complete freedom of mind that allows us to see, gosh, anything's possible, any, literally. And I don't even, I can't even imagine what might be possible. I'm not at all a planning person because how can I possibly even imagine the things that could be possible for me? Cause I can only see what I can see from, you know, I, I like, I know that that space is there. And so somewhere between the restrictions and the paths and the complete freedom of choice, like, like, I don't know, there's some, most of us live somewhere in the middle space. I think that some people seem to live very much in their repetitive choices. And I, I don't know many people who live in complete <laughs> freedom, but 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 it seems to me the more we can go towards the freedom end, and, and there is something about opening up choices. I think this is kind of why why I brought back the social justice question. Is I don't know. This is a, a a theory completely, but I wonder if certain certain ways that we live in the world, where we live, and how we how we live kind of opens up a set of choices because they're the choices of the people around us and the, you know, the ancestors that that's how we have lived. And I wonder if there's something about opening up more choices and that can partly be set by circumstances. And of course, ultimately I see it as a freedom of mind is the yeah. catalyst for that. Yeah, it's, it's almost like you can kind of engineer some of that, uh, freedom of choice in different ways and that's often if we well, think you about can draw statistical in you can draw statistical connections like i know this from the many decades of policy work that i did that there are concrete links between you know levels of education and health and the various things you can draw lots of lines but they're never 100 percent explanatory that's that's always been the interesting thing is well if that really is the thing that makes the difference, then why doesn't it work 100% of the time? Why are there exceptions that work and don't, you know, why are there exceptions on both sides? There's something else at play here. And it isn't all about, you know, lesson plans in school or housing. And, and given that, you know, we all know that this sort of happiness or whatever it is that we all seem to be seeking this state of mind where we feel life has got meaning we all know that that doesn't depend on how much money we've got in the bank or we like, we think it does, but we know that it doesn't when we really look at our own life experiences. 
and yeah so 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 it, it's just the stuff that interests me <laughs> yeah no me too me too and i love that I, I i did know but i'd forgotten that you had that economics background and yeah and that, and that part of your of your life and it is interesting to bring you know here's a thing that you, you know you say these are just your opinions but how many people who have done that kind of work on economics and development and inequality and poverty and have done this work that you're doing now which we are, i'm sure we'll get into at some point in this call but no rush you know to do with coaching like that's a particularly interesting set of experience to have and and because of that there is something i'm sure that you have to say that that lots of people won't have seen and i think we're in some of that space in this moment yeah um, and yeah, for what it's worth, I think that's a, you know, it's a really important thing to think about if we're interested in, if people are interested in changing the way, uh, people from different backgrounds are able to progress through life. Um, then comparing, you know, not, not just thinking that fixing the one thing that like not fixating on one thing is so complex, right? Is, is there anything more, a more perfect um, representation of a complex system than a human being and uh, raising it you know I, I did some complexity theory training last year and literally the example they give you know complicated thing rocket science you can work out how to do it yeah you can predict how it'll work and know you'll get a yeah. rocket to the moon complex thing raise a child you've yeah. got no idea what is going to be a good child rearing choice until after it's done and then some of them were great yeah. and some of them weren't and things contributed but the cause and effect is incredibly hard to draw yes and and i'm just going to say you, you use the words complicated and complex and i just wonder how many like i know what those mean i just wonder right. if you want to say what each of those means to draw out the difference in that theory it's yeah kind of so it's worth just saying if people are interested there's a framework by a guy called dave snowden that's how i came across it called kinevin which is a welsh word which is hard to spell so i'll put it in the show notes <laughs> um and uh essentially that that as i understand it i've kind of just done it but uh complicated you might be able to do this better than me is something which you can predict in advance essentially it might be really hard to do and most of us don't know how to do it but it is possible and that might be how to fix a car engine I was or say, how to get how to get engine. a rocket, I mean, rocket to the, science the moon. looks like one of those things as well. but people some people do understand how you get a rocket to the moon like it is possible whereas complex um yeah is something that you can't predict in advance you might you can't predict causality in advance you might be able to predict i guess things that contribute um, I think the, I think the idea with complex and this is a theory, so you know it's not something that I'm attached to. But I think that this guy talks about complexity as where you move one thing, it changes everything else in the system. Right. So it isn't like a calm where you move one thing and then it goes faster or slower or you know, whatever. And I would say with the child example, I've got two children who are at various stages of growing up. Actually, I do feel like there's it's simple. <laughs> so I didn't necessarily think that at first, but now as they're older and we've been through, you know, the things we've been through as parents, I'm sure that most parents will go through with their kids ups and downs and all the hopes and desires. I actually see how really flipping simple it is with children and, and with humans. <laughs> Uh, well, we have to go there then, Kathy. Don't we? <laughs> Drop this thing. You're gonna, you're gonna reveal the secret. You're gonna leave you like with on that. Well, yeah. No, I can say more because it's again, it comes back to to well, we're, the fact that we're all living lives. So we might put ourselves in this box as coaches, but for me, it's been one of the most interesting things I think I've seen around the three principles, which I know we're going to talk about. Is 
that it just comes back to the amount of love that you pour on somebody. I can see you smiling just in case we're on audio at some point. <laughs> and, and, and that they just look so simple to me. It looks so simple is that when my children have been through difficult things, and I, I, I may not go into a lot of detail, they don't like it when I talk about them. So it may feel as if I'm being a bit kind of opaque here, but it's just because, you know, I respect yeah, the fact, well, don't post pictures of me on social media. You know? Yeah, fair, <laughs> fair. Right, Okay, so this is your life. Um, but when we've had some ups and downs with them, that we we think there's this thing that we do, you know, we think there's this, this um, complicated system that we do these things and, we have to do things in a certain way and I'm sure there are lots of parenting books and people that will tell you to talk to your child in a certain way or do this or do that or lock them in their room or don't lock them in their room you know all of the stuff that we that we get told and actually I think the the only thing that that works or at least the root of where everything that works come comes from is just to pour as much love as you possibly can and to look at that person whether it's a child or a partner in a relationship or a client or a difficult colleague you know whatever the person at the supermarket and just yeah empty your mind and shower them with metaphorical love <laughs> it's real love but obviously not like literally pouring glitter on them but uh, yeah and and then things will turn out the way they turn out yeah yeah i was once on a call with some kind of coaches who were just starting on their journeys and one of them just kind of paused and said do you ever just like, don't you just get on the call with your clients and just love them? It was a really beautiful moment. It was kind of clearly, it's, you know, it's completely yeah. stuck with me. And it, you know, it's like, oh, sh- you know, she's going to be all right in this work. Yeah. You know? <laughs> she's yeah. got, if she's got that down. Um, yeah. Let's, let's bring it a bit to coaching, Kathy, but of course, free in these conversations to go wherever it goes, but we're starting to move in that direction. You told us a little bit about what happened before, before you moved into this work. How did you first come across coaching? Um, yeah, I'm pausing here you haven't lost me but it's, I guess as a kind of concept I mean we all know about sports coaches and football coaches but I guess as a concept in my life it was when I was in a leadership program I was always a sort of high-flying type and in one of the leadership programs that I did, we had we had coaches, and actually we had the opportunity. That's when I did the first <coughs> my first qualification. We had the opportunity to 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 go deeper with it for ourselves. <coughs> yes, I've got a bit of a cough today. <laughs> I was out last night on the uh, my neighbour invited me to go kayaking, and I think I got a bit much sun and oh, wow. too many insects flying around on the river. But, but what, what river up. is it? Where you're, are it you was in the, the I'm somewhere? in. Yeah, I'm in the. I'm on the edge of the Cotswolds, so it was. Even he didn't know actually. It was the Avon, I think, which okay. runs into the Severn. So yeah. it was sort of a little river. It was very nice. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. So, so I think that was that was it. Probably um, in the kind of mid two thousands ish, about that sort of time. Having said that, I was also slightly slightly hesitating because I hear a lot of coaches say, oh, people always came to me a lot for advice. I always felt like I was in that kind of mentor-ish sort of role and not really knowing what it was. And and, that, and that's been me too, like partly, partly in, in kind of real jobs that I've done as a policy advisor or in a strategic role where I'm not necessarily the person implementing on the street, but I'm the person kind of directing and so there's a 
there's a very clear lesson you learn at some point in that role, which is you might have lots of bright ideas, but when you've got extremely large budgets and programs that people who are implementing may not have exactly (laughs) the same ideas and you you can get irritated with them for getting it wrong, or you can try and find a way of working with them, (laughs) helping them see something for themselves. So, so in a way that role is always, you know, it's always been part of what I've done. I've tended to be much more the, the person directing than the person you know, running around doing the doing the things, but I think I think actually the word coaching and my first experience of having a coach was in that in that leadership program, and it was it was a mixed experience to be honest. I thought the coaches were a bit mediocre, kind of. <laughs> I, I I could see there was something there, but it didn't feel like it was as helpful as conversations with my line manager. You know, that's that's uh, to be completely truthful about it. It was, uh, yeah, okay, I can see there's something, but I'm not quite sure what it is. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, what then, how did you then, how did it come back into your life or how did it come back in a way that gradually did become more, ah, there is, yeah, there's something here and I want a bit more of it? I think, I, I, I think again, over time, it was I was very and about that time as I started to get into more senior roles and so I did did well, less and less didn't didn't do a lot of technical economics but I was in more of you know kind of traditional leadership role directing people rather than directing content I became much more interested in what it is that this question of what it is that creates change in people which is the you know it's a question we've alluded to with the the overlap between circumstances and state of mind and it, and it again it was that it's the what is it I can do in my position here with all of the stakeholders and the people that I work with including politicians I was working very closely with politicians at that time what is the thing that is helpful and sometimes it's about the information and the quality of the information my husband's a statistician and we have these kinds of conversations a lot and he's very attached to the quality of his data and the argument and the strength of the science and yeah you know you're nodding that you can empathize with that like that too but what is the piece that makes somebody open to the argument or what is the piece in the argument that makes them change and I observe particularly I think in the work when I was working more directly with politicians is that I could spend months on these huge pieces of work or I could send a sort of throwaway remark in an email and that sometimes would be the thing that got mm. picked up and that, oh my gosh, you're such a genius and this is like brilliant. It's like, I just like was a throwaway remark in an email and nothing to do with my brilliance, by the way. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, just like those kinds of questions and what is it about, about engaging staff at work and why are some people just <laughs> objectionable all the time? You know, yeah. why? Why be so exhausting to be, you know, just all of those questions about human nature and how we engage in a, a, in a work situation um, that was front of my mind. And so I think that's how I, how I, you know, eventually came on a path to, okay, well, maybe, maybe executive coaching is this like thing that seemed to be the, the thing that was in front of me and went on that route and had a look at their models and their ways of doing things and you know as you do you kind of dip in and dip out and and I think from that moment of seeing that there was this thing called coaching it felt like there was something to it but I hadn't found the thing it still felt like there was a superficiality to it um and it's taken a long time (laughs) many offshoots and 
dead ends to suddenly think, okay, now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, cause so you said that the first view was sometime the first spot of this thing, coaching as we mean it, um, yeah. as, as most of us would talk about it, uh, was in the mid two thousands. Yeah. And so yeah. as it was, as this shift was happening as, or as you were kind of seeing something here about changing people's minds about changing people about how cultures happen and why some people are really really annoying in, in a work environment um nobody that i work with directly by the way i'll just say that <laughs> <laughs> anybody's listening good save good save <laughs> i have worked with some annoying people if any of them are listening you can i'm sure it wasn't you um uh and so what 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 were you kind of picking up? So it's like there was some kind of slightly shallow coaching stuff, but yeah. what was the what was the good stuff over those next few years the, that kind of good, caught your yeah, eye or your the, ear? Or the good stuff was about understanding people. Actually, yeah, I probably should probably say that's kind of coming back to me now. I've got a mm. terrible memory, but I got very fascinated with um, the kind of the profiling directions. So personality tests, strengths, finders, all of that that kind of set of things. It looked to me like there was something. Actually, it's interesting. I've only just. I feel like I'm only maybe making this connection now, but it looked to me like there was something more interesting and useful in the understanding of people and the understanding that we have of each other. I remember doing a team thing at that time with my team around the Myers-Briggs model and just spending time in the understanding versus the, the the kind of tools and questions and models that certainly executive coaches that I worked with and, and at some point became that felt like that felt like you're trying to put me in a box that you think is useful and quite frankly it just looks like why would I even go in your box it doesn't even look like fun to play with you know there was <laughs> that, that, that I think was the difference and actually that's and you know and again this is just I say this is like this is me this is my preference I'm not saying this is all of you coaches need to go and do this you're like no 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 no. this is me that and I think that's that's something that I found really true in the way that the principles is is taught and, and that we implement as coaches and as, as all sorts of practitioners is that it comes back to a fundamental understanding and we're not trying to change or, or direct or really do anything but that behavior comes from understanding and actions come from understanding so the more that we can stay in that space then everything else just becomes obvious to do or not do um and so the you know coming back around to the kids and the clients and pouring love on them that is a is a an explanation of what's happening when we have less on our minds that's how Mm -hmm. how it seems to me it isn't a doing it isn't a I'm going to clear my mind and do my three-step love exercise. It isn't a doing. And, and, you know, doing, if it helps clear your mind, great. But it's it's an explanation of presence, complete presence. Mm. And maybe that's a nice place to go now. It feels like there's a load of places we could jump off from what you've just (laughs) said. Um, But I think think you're the first person on this, I've had on the podcast, who, who calls themselves a three principles coach. And it's, it'd be probably really nice for people who haven't come across that. If you could just speak to that first, perhaps how you came across it then. And was that the place where it finally felt like, you know, you said you kind of, I finally, maybe I've got it now. It might've been that. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and then give people a bit of a sense of what that means. Yes. And I, I kind of say it slightly shorthand. I often don't say it at I can't remember that I do. I don't say it on my website. I don't, it's not like in a job description. I call it transformative coaching or leadership coaching or something that 
you know, it's more likely for people to have heard of. So in a way I'm using it as a shorthand because you know what I mean. And uh, we, we sort of touched on that in our exchange of emails. So it was part of the journey. I went through this kind of up and down and lots of offshoots and what am I even really doing in this thing since I left work. And it was about, I'm kind of trying to remember now, about 2013, I think. So, you know, <laughs> a little while in the in the weeds, as they say. And I, I still had this sense of something in coaching, but I just still felt like I hadn't quite landed. And I'd been... been um, on Michael Neal's email list for for a long time, and some of you will know him, some of you won't. You know, if you do, great. If you don't, just go and Google him. He's all over the place. And he had come into the principles in around 2010, I think, maybe slightly early, which I didn't, I didn't know. I had, you know, no awareness. I was vaguely on this guy's email list. And he did something. I think I did a, um, I had got a, like a three-day workshop, one of those, you know, one of these things that he'd done. And coaching from the inside out it was the first time he did it and I thought coaching that's what I need I need to you know let me get a handle on this thing called coaching and I, I when I the first time I listened to it it felt like being at somebody's dinner party when they're all talking about their best friends and you don't you're not out of place but you just kind of yeah, okay you guys sound like you're having a good time but I don't really know what you're talking about it felt like that <laughs> and I thought okay so I put the thing away and then about a year later I had come around again actually I was in a mastermind and um, again, this is actually, it's amazing what stuff comes back to you when you get asked questions. I was in this okay. mastermind. I think it was about then or was it a bit later. Oh, timelines. I'm a bit hazy with timelines. And again, I was feeling like I just hadn't, hadn't quite landed on the thing. And one of the guys said to me, I can't, I can't now remember the exact words, but they basically said, you look like you're kind of faffing around a bit, Kathy. What the hell are you doing? You know, it was that kind of a question were, um, were you faffing around oh yeah completely like I didn't you know I, I yeah of course so, yeah, so yeah, well, actually maybe if you could just what what was happening like you said I think you said you'd left work oh yeah I left work like gosh way back in 2009 2010 and right, at that why, point why did you leave work well I um why did I leave work I I got to that point so what about 10 years ago so I was in my early mid 40s and I got to a point where I thought gosh I can stay I really loved my job and I thought I can stay in this job for the next 20 years people did that's what they did they stayed in their jobs and they retired and were you working for the you're working for the government government, yeah yeah. I was working for the UK government and uh and or I can not work for the government I can go do something else (laughs) <laughs> and we actually both left, but my husband and I left left work at this, and we were crazy. Actually, I don't know what we were thinking. Uh, we just thought, oh, let's just like leave. <laughs> what do you it's think? Like, like how? What? Like because this is interesting, right? Especially because we've been talking about seeing possibilities and yeah. freedom of mind to do something that's unexpected to a lot of people. So, what do you think it was that had the two of you in that place, just going, yeah, let's let's just leave. Well, he had, I can see a bit more of a path for him because he had been doing a little bit of consultancy, a very, very small amount. And I think he'd been wanting to leave to build his consultancy career for a little while. And I had been discouraging towards that because he massively over-dedicates the amount of time. So he'll say, you know, I'll do this two-week contract and then he'll spend like six months doing this two-week. He's that sort of, that's just like who he is. And so in my mind, I'm thinking he's going to make a really bad 
self-employed consultant because <laughs> he's never going to have enough contracts to pay the bills because he spends too much time and it's, you know, how wrong we can be. It's so funny how, how we make up things about people. And so I've been slightly discouraging. And then at some point I think it's just like, oh, well, fuck it. <laughs> I, don't, I actually don't know. I mean, I could probably make up something now. <laughs> but back then I can't even remember what it was. Uh, and there was something about, you know, not being in a nine to five and having more time around. The kids were not tiny. They were, um, one was born in 94 and one was born in 2000. So, you know, the youngest would already have, the youngest, yeah, would have been approaching 10. They weren't tiny kids, you know, they were sort of medium, medium, medium to larger size children. Yeah, I don't don't know. It was just a moment of craziness. And I've overheard him on conversations talking to people saying, oh, we must have been mad. Yeah. And I think our friends probably did think we were mad. And isn't it interesting how things work out, actually? You know, that's another um, huge lesson looking back over that time is that we think, and I see a lot of people thinking this going into any kind of self-employment, we, we, we make up a lot of stuff around money, around what we need to live, what we need to do, where money needs to come from. And it just often doesn't work out like that. And it's it's so much easier to be free around that than it is to commit ourselves to a particular path. And and I kind of say that because I see a lot of people, and, and I'm sure you've got coaches listening to this who are moving into or already into their own business or working as an associate or a consultant, or, you know, a lot of us are in very small operations making up what that means around their status and their income and how the you know the business has to look in order for them to do what they do and this was a much newer revelation to me by the way but in the last couple of years I I just feel like I've completely uncoupled those things it's so bizarre Robbie (laughs) those things it's money Money and and how my business works and all that kind of thing yeah, and and yeah, yeah, and it's so bizarre. Actually, yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's so. But so at that time, like you know, back in kind of two thousand nine, two thousand ten, the idea was that he would be he would grow his consultancy um, business, which he's he's done and has continued to do, and I would be more kind of at home and figuring out what to do, and because he, he travels, his 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 work involves flying all around the world, so um, that's not easy to do when you've got one person in full-time employment so it was you know it was a kind of a family let's just rejig this whole arrangement and so so for, for a while I did feel like I stumbled around trying to reclaim my kind of status in some way as a professional employed person and and then it took a while to just realize how foolish that was <laughs> and, and you but even then you were listening to the Michael Neal thing you were in a mastermind of some kind so there was oh, still yeah, this yeah, interest yeah, yeah. in yeah, yeah. What, what was the kind of focus at that point that's a kind of weird question but it's like why were you in the mastermind I guess is the question yeah. that I'm asking yeah oh yeah no no absolutely um I guess for business like I was I thought I had this this thing called a, a business a coaching practice and I did I did a lot of group groups and training and you know I had so you were working as a coach yeah by yeah, this point. Yeah, yeah I was working okay. as a coach yeah absolutely by that point and mostly with an orientation towards um it hadn't become fully actually now, now I say I primarily call it leadership. It was a mix of people in smaller enterprise type 
businesses and people in organizations. I never went towards the corporate um, traditional executive coaching model because because I didn't want to be away from home. I wanted something where I could work very flexibly from home. So I went much more towards the, like the kind of personal coaching, I guess we'd call it, but to do with things around people and businesses and um, and work. Now I feel like I've implanted myself in some ways completely freely. It's, I work with people, but also it's 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 much it's much clearer to me that I have more fun with people who are in leadership roles of one sort or another. And you know, we can talk about what that was. So the journey into the principles kind of bring this thing all the way yeah, back yeah, around nice. in the mid, um, whenever it was, 2013, 14, 15, like that period. I so I kind of dipped into Michael Neal's world a little bit more deeply, thought, okay, you seem like a really nice guy, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> Went back out again. Um, and actually I think in fact it was the, it was it was a it was a year later, it was the second time when I had this challenge from my mastermind partner what the heck are you doing what that I went back and picked up the recordings of this course that I had that I had um, been part of a year before thinking okay well I'm gonna get, I'm gonna really really just look deeply at coaching I didn't want to turn away from it I thought there's something here I'm gonna give it a go and if it's not for me it's not for me but this is like I'm gonna really you know really look at it really try and figure out uh, what this thing is and how I want to engage with it or not and so I went back to the Michael Neal training and I just heard it completely differently. It was like a different, it was like a different program talking about different things. It sounded completely different. Um, and then, and, and he, he talks a little bit, uh, became a little closer to his world and he talks a little bit more explicitly about the three principles, which we can, we can talk about. And um, yeah, and then I retrained. I did. I've done Michael's Super Coach Academy. I've done his advanced. He has an advanced track. Um, uh, as he jokes, it those people who didn't get it the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've worked quite close with Michael for uh, quite a while now. Yeah, and we could ask you loads of stuff about that. And yeah, for people who haven't checked out Michael Neal, there's lo- you know. I feel like he's quite an important person in the coaching industry in lots of he ways. Does, a lot of his ideas does. have gone to a lot of places. And um, if you spend a bit of time on calls with him or listening to his stuff or reading his books, you'll find insight in them, whatever kind of coach you are, really. I think he's he's got a lot of great stuff to say. I think so. I feel, again, if you don't want to feel like I'm avoiding talking about Michael, but his stuff's so out there that if you don't know him, or even if you do know right, him, you go to his him. website. Yeah, you yeah. can find him, michaelneal.org, I think he is. He's got, you know, at least one, if not two, three podcasts. He's got some, we're in the middle of the, the yeah, I mean, he's so prolific. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> we're in, in, as we're speaking right now, in June um, 2020, he's got some of his stuff that he's made available for free during the lockdown. I don't, you know, it's pay, his pay programs that are not always free. He does a lot of very accessible low-priced programs up right up to his you know he does the, the the coaching model of having an apprentice and all of, all of that kind of stuff and he he does these uh, uh super coach academy coach trainings which he's been doing for I'm not exactly sure how long maybe approaching 10 years perhaps maybe a bit less i'm not 100 sure on that um and they've 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 changed obviously as he's changed and it's now a fully immersive <clears throat> coaching from a three principles perspective and so like the three principles just to to put a bow on that people who don't know yeah, is, a, is a 
it's kind of a framework for describing how we work as humans. And um, uh, Sid, Sid Banks, a guy in the back in the seventies, had a, an enlightenment experience and saw, as you know, many of us glimpse. Gosh, there's this thing called life, and then there's all this stuff in my head. And the the sort of classic moment of his enlightenment is he's on. Uh, some kind of a, a course program weekend away relationship thing I think it was and somebody said to him oh Sid you're not insecure you just think you are <laughs> <laughs> great and, uh, yeah which you know is a kind of remark we say to our friends all of the time and for some reason he heard that as something really true and it changed his life and he went on to 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 talk more about his enlightenment experience, what he'd seen. And it became, it became, it came to be described as the three principles. And, and I'm, I, I will talk about what they are. We can, you know, feel free. Yeah, I know it feels like, pop, can I tell me the three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but again, I want to preface this by saying like, this is a framework for describing what just looks like how we operate as humans. And it looks as real to me as, other frameworks and other ways of seeing the same thing. So this isn't kind of a teaching. This is just, you know, if we've got a Rubik's cube, this is like saying this is an orange side on the, it's, it's what we're describing is the Rubik's cube. We're describing the, this thing called how humans work. And it's a very, very straightforward framework of saying that there is an underlying intelligence to, to life. There's this, there's so much that's in the subconscious that we, and especially I think in the West, Robbie, we're so attached to this like worshipping the God of the intellect, my brain, I have yeah. to be able to, you know, this, this, this uh, sort of scientific method that my husband is so proud of and all of these things. And it's, it's given us lots of things. <clears throat> like, and, and yeah. Uh, but, and. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah. And, and to me, there's a big and, and the and comes before that. What is it that even directs my friend was telling me about somebody she knew wanted to go on a mission to mars or something and i think gosh that would just never enter my head to go on a mission to mars but there you go there are people going on and like isn't that amazing and so for me that this you know this expression of the innate intelligence in all of us is the fact that we have this incredible creative pull and desire and just we just want to do things and make sense of things and like that's part of having this huge you know how could we describe or explain or model what that is it's just to me it's just there and I know it and and it's bigger than my brain so so there's that and that we have a human experience we have a lived experience and that we live it because we are we are conscious beings you know consciousness is not a word only associated with principles but in any in any sense of it whether in a neuroscience sense of consciousness or the very spiritual tradition sense of consciousness we have an awareness of like i'm looking out of my window and looking at the day and looking at you and you know i i have an awareness and i have a lived experience and my lived experience is comes through my awareness and so right back at the beginning of the conversation when we talked about you know kind of structural things versus freedom of choice mm. what what that does when you really see, gosh, I have my lived experience through my own consciousness is knowing the truth of the knowing that that's how I'm having my experience allows me to know fundamentally to be true, that that's like one sliver of all of the possibilities of 
things that I may or may not do or have or turn towards. I don't feel as bound by my lived experience as I might do if I felt that that was the only thing that was available to me. Mm. And so you gradually came to hold this particular frame through that training, through other learning, probably what, I mean, you've probably talked about some of them already, but what for you were the impacts of this frame? Yeah, I, I, I think, <coughs> well, I kind of question the, 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 the learning because so I've got a squeaky chair. <coughs> One of the things I think, um, you know, that Michael was then, and, and I think pretty much any principles practitioner you speak to will say is that we're not, we're not we're not learning something. It's not like oh, this is framework, and how does it apply to my to my experience? It's to, to me again. This is personal opinion. To me, it's more like I'm being better attuned to what's relevant to listen to and what isn't, and where the you know the things that move the needle. Mm. What are those things? And so, because the principles has helped me explain the framework that I happen to resonate with because it's helped me see, Oh, okay. This is, this is a bit of a clearer signal. And this is a bit, why am I getting a bit kind of sidetracked with this thing over here? Because it's helped me see that more clearly Then it's explained all sorts of things like right back at when I first speak, well, you know, even right back the whole of my, my, life i guess basically i was on um, in another mastermind a different mastermind but we were we were um in our meeting last week we were talking about one of the members was talking about her, her parents and her dad and again we were in the kind of racism lineage sort of conversation and i shared something about my mom and how my mom was and and what sort of particular attributes she had and you know we're, we're in we're in life because of all sorts of things and so i guess for all of my life the focus on equality and why don't why don't why do we live differently and why do we seem to to treat people differently you know all of that's always been around um and so you know back to that or back to when i when i first came into coaching and trying to understand what it is that makes people some people flourish and some people just be objectionable (laughs) you know what is that how do we influence people like all of the things that i've been trying to understand better it feels to me like the principles has a way of shining a light on all of those things and a way of making the path that I feel like I've been on for my whole life just a little bit a little bit easier a little bit different a little bit more obvious because had I had I known which things to tune into and which things not to tune into I might have taken different paths I might I might not doesn't I don't it doesn't matter to me so so that's like so it's not like a teaching thing you learn it and then you apply it it's more like a it's an understanding it's more like an attuning and so the areas it's been most impactful i think eventually on my work like that probably took the longest <laughs> so funny isn't it how we how we get how we get tied up with things i think the kids has been a really big thing you know it's been it's you're around people all of the time every single day and 
you, you have you know you know you have no choice with these things that are in front of you it's not like a, oh i just don't like that job i'm gonna leave it you know it's like well, can i turn you back get new ones <laughs> you know, thought about that but you don't get to choose your kids they just come as they are and that that's been a really that's been a really big one and how actually what we talked about before what it what it is that makes the difference with other humans um relationship definitely that definitely i see a lot of people in the principles communities really sometimes leaving their relationships actually but often a flourishing of relationships it really because again you know you're around these people all the time and so i had a, a friend come to stay and <laughs> another principal's coach and she we were stacking the dishwasher together and she said I should you, know, you said you put the forks that way up she said why do you do it and I, I said oh, I don't know actually my husband and I kind of laugh about that sometimes because he puts them the other way and she said gosh she said my ex-boyfriend and I argued about this all of the time and I was so attached to the forks being yeah. one way and he was so attached to them being another way and I mean it sounds like she's talking about forks in the dishwasher. But, but everyone's thought, had those fights, right? It, almost yeah, almost or everyone it's has. Politics, or it's the guy in the car who drives like an idiot, or it's the person at work. I know I keep referring to this this um, uh, imaginary objectionable person. You know, it's like we've all had that. We've all had those things that just look, gosh, if you would just do it my fucking way, life would be so much easier. And I still say that to my husband. I still say, God, why don't you just do it my way? And then we laugh. You know, it's like I know in the moment I'm saying it, I really felt annoyed. And then I, you, you realize how stupid it is and you let it go. So, and the principles are one of the things that has really helped you see, I think really helped me attune just, to what's real and see yeah. when it's just, oh this, oh, this is just a silly thing about forks. I can just yeah. let this go at this moment. Yeah. And my friend could see that, you know, she was asking me and I yeah, didn't yeah. have any attachment. And I was like, oh, well, actually, I think your way actually makes more sense than my way. But I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm just in the habit of doing it my way. You know, like my openness, her openness, the fact that she could see what, and, okay. I'm sure there was more to stack in the dishwasher and her ex-boyfriend and <laughs> perhaps he wasn't the right. But it's those sorts of things like we make such a meal out of these tiny things and we can have an argument about stacking the forks in the dishwasher, but we don't have to stay in that argument for the rest of the evening. It doesn't yeah. turn the TV off on it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you brought, you mentioned politics there. I was kind of wondering about that before you even mentioned that, how, you know, if you think about the modern day, most of us, you know, we're living in a weird social experiment where social media has happened and no one really asked us if that was a cool thing, but it's happened and it's happening. And the, 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 the last four or five years have been kind of very strange culturally. I wonder how do you think that the, have you really, because you, you, you brought that as an idea in, have you noticed that happening? You've kind of got into the, like with the forks, you've got into the, the conversation or the exchange, you've gone, oh, we're doing this weird thing. I can just let this go right now. Is that what's happened or how is it? Um, I, well, I guess I have two, two levels. It's the level of, you know, the, what I think about the outside world, which I can talk about all day, by the way. <laughs> I have lots of opinions about lots of things. And then, the, and then the, what I'm more interested in at the moment is thinking about how and where I engage with things. So I had a, a real... Um, not an epiphany, it wasn't an epiphany, but I had a, I felt like I had a real moment after the last election, which was, was it about a year ago? I'm trying to remember now. It lasts now, kind of it's six, it was seven months, wasn't six it? Six or seven months, it was last year, wasn't it, uh, Robbie, in the, in the UK, our last election. And I live in a very marginal constituency and I was not voting for the incumbent, I was voting for the, uh, well, actually, well, um, 
fact, I did end up voting for the incumbent because I didn't want the other guy to to win. But we, um, I have always been kind of closely engaged in politics in one way or another. Obviously, worked for the government for a long time. Worked, worked at a very senior level, closely with politicians. I have been interested in how we can shift the political conversation and I had somebody I knew as a not a friend a kind of an associate who was in the process of setting up a new party in the UK and I was kind of curious about what he was doing to change the debate and it's felt like a like a conversation I've wanted to be part of you know forever pretty much and at the last election when the Conservative government won again and I had a conversation with one of my neighbours who um, our dogs, <laughs> our dogs are the kind of dog buddies. My dog comes along and she's got lady dogs, and he's like, "Oh, you know, being excited, loves a lady dog." It's so funny. And she's, um, she, she campaigned for the Tories, and I was quite surprised at the, the, the you know, again a kind of fairly, fairly. It felt like a fairly loud voice for the for the insecure right. I'll explain what I mean by that if you want. And I said to her, gosh, I was quite surprised by the outcome of the election. And she said, oh, I wasn't. I you know, was knocking on doors and I kind of felt like I had the mood of the country. And there was a moment where I thought, yeah, there's like all these people out there and all this like thing I have an opinion about. And, and I could understand what she was saying and I could understand, I felt like I had a much deeper compassion in that moment for people who were voting Conservative, people who voted Brexit. And I could kind of see more clearly where that was potentially coming from. And I just thought I, I want to step back from this thing that looks like, you know, politics to me and bring everything down to a much smaller scale. So I don't, I don't look for, I need and what that looked like before was that I might go and speak to groups or I might do trainings or I might do things that were oriented for people who were um, either part of politics or engaged more actively in the political debate than me, um, worked with a politician directly, you know, things like that. I thought, okay, this is, this feels like something I'm getting a new understanding of and I want to step back from that. And so what I'm curious about now, I haven't arrived at anything, but what I'm curious about now is where are the things that I'm engaging and, and what is it that's, what is it that's really shifting? And what if it wasn't changing politics, this thing, you know, what if there was not this thing out there, but there was something else about love and compassion and consciousness. And there was something else at a more human level. And uh, yeah, that sounds probably very vague because it's vague in my mind. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> it's vague sound in that my mind. vague. I think the thing that I just want to check about is, in that conversation where you, I guess it sounds to me like, but this might be wrong. So if it is pulled out that there had been this kind of much more active interaction with literal politics, yeah. you know, the kind of people who do that stuff. And there's something about this interaction with the neighbor, you know, you brought that in, gave you more compassion is what you said. And is that then what, what kind of, slowed you down or, or ended with this place that you've just described which is there might be something big but different that I is think where so. you want to yeah, spend your time yeah. and your energy or those kind of things I think I think what it did is it did not necessarily gave me more compassion for, for, I want to say not gave me more compassion for her sounds like I have no compassion yeah, no. it was not what it was it wasn't it wasn't a kind of a me her thing it was 
it was, I just realized that I had maybe lost sight of the human and that, yeah. you know, we describe politics, we describe parties. It had looked to me as if engaging in a certain way with certain groups, certain individuals was therefore going to lead to some shift in the system, I guess, if I'd had to, you know, why do you do these things? Well, it looks like if I engage with my friend who's, who's trying to set up a political party and we do it slightly differently and we do the things, you know, that would lead to change. And I suddenly thought, oh, I have a lot of um, expectations or I have a kind of a theory of change in my mind that I probably hadn't been aware of. And I had thought that doing X would lead to Y. I guess it comes back to the com- complex. It's complicated in my mind. Mm. I guess I'd, I had, um, I think, again, this was, you know, it was completely an unconscious um, awareness that perhaps became conscious that I had, I suddenly saw that I would, was doing certain things because of what I expected them to lead to or to change or to do. And I, I, I kind of can't even almost say what it was, but there was something about that that I thought, okay, you need to back off here. This is not, I guess, again, it's a tuning mechanism, isn't it? Is that that's not, that's not the thing that moves the needle. And I know that because of how it feels. It's the same in the argument about the dishwasher. If I find myself getting irritated by my extremely irritating husband, (laughs) like I know that feeling. Well, if you were just but he'd not put your washing on the floor and then the cat wouldn't pee. You know, it's like, I know that feeling. And so sometimes I'll argue because that's what we do. And sometimes I'll shut my mouth because, you know, my tuning mechanism is a bit more alert that day. But I know if, whether I go down the, the road or not, I know the feeling as clear as black and white. Um, and I guess in that arena, I suddenly became a bit more attuned to, mm, okay, this is not how change happens, Kathy. You're doing this stuff because you have some agenda here. Yeah, how interesting. And I think that, you know, I, I, I get it. I think that there's something about that whole, the whole arena of politics, which particularly yeah. taps into a load of our groupishness, yeah. um, which makes it, it seems to make it much easier for us, even people who are trying to attune to these things, to forget loads of stuff that we know when we get into those kind of conversations and, and, and interactions. And yeah, I like the idea that's just, the, you just got the sense that I'll, yeah, this isn't, this isn't how it feels when we're doing the thing which changes everything. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, talking about it out loud, which I've, I've done a little bit, but not a lot is making me realize it's that thing about me. It's that my agenda and my attachment and my yeah. expectations, which is the thing that, that I probably tuned into. And so seeing that, of course, makes me suddenly have realized that I'm not having compassion for people who don't have my agenda because, of course, my agenda's right and they're just wrong. Why, why can't they see it my way? Obviously. Don't they know the folks are damned? <laughs> yeah. It's exactly the same. Yeah. So often it's exactly the same. Yeah. 100% of the time. It's exactly yeah. Same. Only always. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> always. And, and sometimes we don't see it. And some people I know will be listening to this thinking she's a crazy person. Yeah. She understand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's just how I see the world. And I understand that's not how you see the world. And like, that's fine too. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Kathy, there's so many places we can go from here. Um, what I would guess make we've it? been 
yeah. fun for you. Fun is a good. Well, there's a couple of things. There's some little hanging threads. Um, I mean, the truth is, what we've just been talking about makes it fun for me in some ways because yeah. I think that that whole conversation is absolutely fascinating. Um, and some of my favourite learning in the last few years has been to understand how, you know, if we think about the how do people work question, which is also partly how share, I came to this. Yeah, I was um, say, why don't you share that with me? Because it feels like a lot like I've been talking, which I can do all day. But I'm really curious. Like, let's, let, yeah. Well, well, I mean, and, what, and I know you've got at the back of your mind, this is for coaches and I've got this thing that they like yeah. to, but um, why don't you put that on We, we also said off, we also said off, uh, <laughs> off air, didn't we? You know, my intention for these conversations is to have a conversation um, a bit like we've been saying. One of the things I learned after one of these early episodes was, the more I worry, this is not quite, maybe this is true, I don't know I'm going to say anyway, the more I worry about whether it's a good uh, interview and if we're doing exactly the things we should be doing, the less good a conversation and interview and podcast it is and that the game is about presence and effortlessness and all those things. Um, so yeah, by all means. So the thing that I would recommend to absolutely anyone who's interested in the cultural or the person, the thought leader, interested in the cultural conversation around politics is a guy called Jonathan Haidt. Mm-hmm. who is a, an American moral psychologist. And when I read, I can't remember how I came to it really, but when I read his book, The Righteous Mind, um, Why Good People Fall Out Over Politics and Religion or something like that is the subtitle. Um, that just really, it's quite, it's, you know, it's quite a long book. He's a gr- great writer, one of my favorite nonfiction writers. He's got a book about happiness as well, which is really worth checking out. Um, and one more recently, which feels very relevant. You know, again, he's based in America, but he's, his third book is, um, the coddling of the American mind, which is his take really on his, what he saw as worrying trends on campus. Um, which may my student be... son started on that topic. Oh my god! Right, which no, may you're the now second be... person to mention. I know Jonathan Hyde, and I haven't read any of his books, but you're the second person to mention the Righteous Mind to me. So I'm going to write that down because I haven't read it, and I know a little bit of what he talks about. And and I think with many of these things that he's pointing in the same direction as, as I would point out from a principles language, which is that we get attached to these, you know, the awareness we're having of what looks true to us in the moment. And so we continue to fight for it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, the, to the like bitter end. Tr- yeah. The, the, yeah, the, the, yeah the, 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 the kind of most beautiful bit of quote, I'm not going to get it quite right from The Righteous Mind, is something like, uh, moral, uh, morality binds and blinds. It binds us into groups uh, so, uh, <laughs> that fight so tightly as though the, the very existence of the world depends on it, and it blinds us to the fact that every all, all the groups are made up of good people with something interesting to say. Um, and, you yeah. know, one of the... Yeah, no, I'm just going to say something, but I won't because it's an opinion, not, not a true thing. But I think there's a difference, and I, I, you know, I've, I've repeated this again and again, about an understanding versus a framework for action. And I think that sums it up because at the root of good people, like I too take the perspective that we are all good. We're all made up of this inherent, innate intelligence. We all have access to it. And for some people, it's in some moments. For all of us, it's more clouded than it is for others. And so often we turn that into an identity or a political affiliation, or we turn that, you know, a job, everybody who's on the search for their life purpose, like we turn it into, I know this feeling is here, what can I turn it into, which is going to deepen and strengthen it. And we turn it, and again, for innocence, like me too, we turn it into this thing 
And then the thing, we become so attached to the thing, the path that, that, that we're blinded to where it came from. And so we lose that responsiveness and the ability that we just made up this thing called universities, you know, like <laughs> before we talk about what we do and don't do on campus, like who made this thing up? We evolved this system of doing things. We can unevolve it in any moment. And, and we lose that where it came from and the fact that we've all got it and we share it. And for me, that for me, that's, that's the moving the needle pieces. Not so much in the detail of what rules and regulations we have around being on campus together, but the fact that if we see the goodness in all of us and we're able to see that we have opinions and differences and play with those rather than being attached to those. And somebody somewhere will write down a set of rules and will say, yeah, sure, we'll let's live with these for a while until we decide to change them. Let's go off and so we can be on campus rather than just sitting around under a tree talking about being on campus. <laughs> right. And what a difference that is between, you know, at least how it looks on the outside, how, how some of these things, some of these things happen. So what else have you seen about human nature? Sorry, I'm Oh, no, go on, go on, go on. No, I was just curious because I, I said what's from for you and you said all this whole conversation around human nature and how we think. And like, I'm cu- curious about that. What's, what's, what's been the big pieces for you? I don't know too much about the work that you do. Yeah, I mean, look more broadly and more recently um, than, than reading uh, Jonathan Haidt. Something very similar, really, to you. It's, it's um, I think I've said this before on some things, but, that, you know, it's worth saying again, because it was a real moment for me. Uh, a couple, last year, last year, I heard this guy called Jordan Hall speak. And he said that it was on a kind of, he's like a futurist or something like that. But he was on this panel and the, the panelist, the kind of the guy running the panel asked, you know, I think it was just after Extinction Rebellion's first big protest. So the idea of extinction was really in mind. And um, the guy asked, you know, if we're facing existential problems for the human race, what, what should people do? <laughs> or what, how do we get through it? And if they, they, some of them gave really great answers, kind of really, what I thought were really clever answers. Like it's like some really clever people who have thought about this a lot saying, mm-hmm. um, here's the, here's a way that we can, you know, try and get through the environmental stuff or whatever it was that they were particularly most worried about. And Jordan Hall, it felt like said something, it was in a slightly different thought and it felt complexity fit for me was one of the things about it. But he said, well, I've been thinking about this for a long time and um, I've come up with an answer. Like, I've been thinking about this for a decade. Would you like to hear what I've come up with? It's like, yes, please. I would like yes, to it's going to be really clever. Uh, tell, tell us, tell us, tell us. I know, so I know. The anticipation. And he said, well, we can work out what is, what is the unique mix of gifts and talents that we have and really get a good understanding of that because the aim would be if 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 there's a if there's a real challenge facing us how do we do our make the biggest contribution we can do our best and we do that by understanding the unique mix of skills we have the experience we have and how that places us to make an impact in the world and then use that but then we also need to do the work to what he he calls be sovereign of ourselves which i think is what you're speaking to right with the attunement i think it's exactly the same same thing so that in every moment we're being as skillful as we can and we can know as best we can that we're not making things worse with the way that we apply ourselves to the world and we're making things better because in complexity we might be pushing at one thing thinking it is absolutely doing with the absolute best of intentions but we can only know we're making things better or be as sure as we can be if we are as attuned 
to that thing that you've been talking about as we possibly can. So that has, that, that idea has had an impact on me and in different ways. Partly the reason it had the impact is because I'd kind of, it was as often these ideas do, it was expressing something that I could already kind of yeah, feel. And it was like, yeah. yes, that is what I wish I'd been able to say it's, myself. And now I can. It's a it's resonance, great. isn't it? It's a resonance. Yeah. I often talk about this with clients is that, that it's the achievement, I guess, is that he's saying something which amplified something that you probably weren't completely aware of in you at the yeah, thought, yeah. so it's not his idea it's the right i think a michael neal thing that i like to... when, you, when you say um it's not his idea i think it was michael neal or maybe he just repeating someone else said you know there's no new wisdom in the world we're all just sharing the same wisdom but we can do it with our own five percent flavor and i happen yeah, to like he, his five percent flavor he, but it's, yeah. it's absolutely the the, the wisdom yeah. that was that yeah was. michael talks about that a lot the fact that we're all speaking from this innate intelligence which you know, most principles practitioners will, will say the universal intelligence more in the direction of a kind of spiritual understanding. And I also hear people talking about, you know, right brain, left brain neuroscience, and I think they're actually talking about the exact same thing. So, ha- however it looks for you, this, you know, iceberg in your brain or this universal innate intelligence, that, that, yeah, I don't know what it is. So, so pick. And he talks about that and in my flavor. And, uh, yeah, yeah, Michael. Michael uses that a lot, and you do. You have some people, and you like their flavor more than somebody else's flavor, and yeah, just go with the, the people whose flavor you like. That's, that's. Yeah. But I think there's something interesting in. Um, I don't. I don't know that guy, so I'll go and you know have a look more. But there's a couple of things in that which I hear. One with my economist leaning, which is which is the unintended consequence. I have a seminar that I've run a couple of times. That I'm, this, the, I know you asked me about what projects am I working on and I didn't have anything, but this is one that I feel like I, I want it to be something. It will, will turn into something I call it provocative questions for social change. And, you know, one of my questions is what if it's, it's about unintended consequences, like don't, don't be attached to what if we don't know as much as we think and what if we don't know the things that we do don't turn out the way, the way we expect. And of course that's, that that's life that's what happens with something is it it has a whole lot of unintended consequences in this complex model of the way that we live that you couldn't possibly have imagined and i i deeply believe that that somebody who initiates something doesn't it's not setting something up to have bad impacts um they're setting it up with something that looks like a sensible intervention and then all of these unintended consequences. So there's something about that being very real is like we play mm. games with Lego and we don't know at what point the Lego is going to look like a monster or it's going to look like a swan. You know, it's like, oh, well, that's how it turned out. Okay, well, interesting. But there's something about the humility and the what, what he talks about, the, the, the word sovereign, I guess, which is the impersonal nature of our lived experience which is which is what enables us to be able to be more rapidly adaptable to these things called unintended consequences. Uh, it looks to me, and you know, for a group of um, I've talked about this in corporate settings, that if for a group of people who are attached to our identity and job descriptions, then the accountant person is going to always be wanting to control the finances versus a group of people who put a bunch of toys on the table and say, God, what can we make now? You know, <laughs> gifts and talents. That's exactly what it brought mm. to mind is I've used that exact same kind of concept. It, it's a real different energy and it is going to, you know, create something brilliant or crazy or useless or, and it doesn't matter because you can just put the toys back in the table. Like, right? You know, it's like, it's like 
let, yeah, we didn't like how that turned out. Let's do it again, because you, because it's a it's it's removing that that personal nature of creation and seeing it as a a shared experience or a universal or a, you know whatever word we attach to. There's something in that that what you described, what he said, and actually I remember having a client who who. who uh, had quite a lot of what he would call anxiety. And he said, I said, I feel like, you know, the planet could just implode tomorrow. And I'm not really a climate change person. I don't know a lot of the bright ideas, but I, I remember turning around and saying to him, you know, well, it could implode tomorrow. Like, what do we know? Don't hold to the idea that you can say, like, who knows? I, it, it, it sounds to me from what the, 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 the people I listen to say that there are things that we can do that will take us off this, this definite destructive path. But, like, I don't know <laughs> why we're we not taking them then, you know, it seems like, <laughs> which is yeah. a question I have an answer to as well, but, <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's the, it's that accepting that the future is completely unknown, completely unknown in a good way and a bad way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Kathy, you started to bring in, I do want to talk about your work now a bit as well, because there's, and you've just given that tantalized, a couple of tantalizing examples of, of, of client work and this, the seminar that you want to do more of um what does your work look like now yeah right now it's in a little bit of a resurgence um we've gone through a phase where um my husband in his brilliant consultancy career was then offered a it had been given the the sort of the carrot of a possible job opportunity um for probably about a year now and it's on off, it's on off, it's on off. And then it suddenly became a lot more definite last year. And then it was on <laughs> and it involved a move to another part of the world. And, and then of course we're next thing we're in Corona and then it's off again. <laughs> so it's been so funny that they're kind of living in uncertainty and having plans and not having plans. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of humor around that. And so it felt as if my, my, the kind of the business side of what I did, the coaching the clients, it felt like I I stepped back from actively looking for new clients. And usually what that means is that I get a very small dribble of one or two people asking to work with me, but I'm not doing anything actively to... to. So that's how it's been for the last sort of year, maybe two years. And then recently what I've noticed is now we're in what clearly is an unknown completely unstable situation of corona it suddenly feels like like things are a bit different for me because we're not going to be moving to the side of the world in the next two weeks and probably not in the next mm. six months so it's interesting how again it wasn't our conscious decision it's interesting how we notice ourselves doing certain things and I noticed myself changing the coaching packages on my website completely and I thought oh, that's really interesting and then the next thing actually I'd had an inquiry from somebody that was what kicked and I thought well, oh, gosh, I don't have anything to say to that person let me just make something up so you know I made something up oh these coaching packages I'm so proud of myself <laughs> and, uh, and then and now I'm being flippant but that you know that's how it works Robbie you know that wait then, what's how it works just make it up and <laughs> How did you make it up in this case? You know, what was the, because yeah, you've been coaching for quite a while. You must have played in different, have, lots of different ways. I played in lots of different ways. And I, what I used to do is a very much, you know, I guess traditional in the kind of circles that we move in of having packages of six months or a year. That was pretty much how I worked with people. And I had quite, it was quite a lot of time after I, after I um, worked with Michael and, and became a principal qualified, not because of that, but just, you know, because of 
what I saw and what I wanted to do with people, I started to do work that involved spending a lot more time with people. So I'd usually kick off a coaching engagement with three days. She started as one day and then two days and then, then I kind of settled on three. And so that was, that was kind of the model that I had. So you do three days with people. Yeah. So kind of intensive. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And, and then, and then what would happen over the rest of the, well, and then we just talk every, well, and then we kind of make it up as we go through the rest of the year. So with some clients, it looks like um, I had one client actually who had such massive insights during the first three days we almost could have not spoken for the rest of the year and it would have been he'd have got out of it what he felt was you know his money's worth and time's worth and so we did we spoke um over the rest of the year and and then i've had other clients where we've done that and then we speak usually about every two weeks and then it might vary i might get to a point where i feel like you know i want to spend another day with this person or i want to spend another half day or i just get a sense of i want to spend more or less time or let's speak once a month or whatever it is and usually i'll finish it up with you know, again, something, let's do a half a day or something where we can meet, meet face to face. And how did you, I mean, so, but, no, what I wanted to say was oh, yeah. though, though actually that, that in the past, that, so that's been my model for, you know, a few years now. And, and so I hadn't consciously been aware, but it's almost like I put my business on hold. That's how it's felt with this, mm. this potential move. And, and so this resurgence recently, I completely, <laughs> completely redesigned it. And, and I just put up a page a few, it's probably two months ago now, where I decided not to do the intensive. I've got packages at the moment, which um, which just involve, you know, starting off with weekly conversations and how and all on. It all, was always pretty much online anyway, but now obviously completely online. And I might have somebody come along with an inquiry and decide to do something different. But, but so that's how it looks now. It looks like I work with people for three, six or 12 months and we mm. speak on Zoom and... Uh, yeah. and uh because some because yeah some coaches might have never even heard of the idea of doing a, an intensive at the start of an engagement or you know if, if you call it that or those yeah. those one then two then three days what did you used to how did they used to work like how did you how much time was it but also what 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 did they give you that that you didn't get if you didn't do them if that makes sense or what did they give the client um, I mean, I, I, the answer that comes to mind is a year's worth of coaching in three days, yeah. but that's too flippant, really. It's 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 too too kind of um, it's an answer, and it's kind of not an answer. I think for me, it gave it gave me really a sense to really understand that person much more. Obviously we have intake sessions and I'll speak to people usually one, sometimes twice before they sign on or not. So, you know, I'm sure that's a very common way of starting engagement. So I've already spoken with somebody for a few hours and a lot of my clients are people that, that know me in some way. So um, already we've got some relationship, even if it's a bit one-sided. And I think the intensives allow me to, to really see what's going on for that person everywhere and to really be as present as possible with them for, for the time that we have. And it, and it also, they tend to be a mix of teaching and coaching. So it tends to be that I will want to talk a bit more about the principles understanding and what that is so that we've, well, so ideally so that that sparks something for them. 
Yeah. And would you do them in person or online? Yeah. 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 And and the reason I changed recently was because I just thought, there's no reason I can't do them online. It's not, I I think the model's just what it is, but I just felt like I didn't really want to do them online at this moment in time. And that might change next week. So at this moment in time, I just, I mean, I just don't feel like it. I'm just going to do this. <laughs> but there is something different. I don't know. I think we're all learning that in, in the age of complete Zoom and nothing else um, in the last few months. There's something really different about being in a, I mean, it's always been there, but it, when we're not spending any, like I'm aware when, you know, I work on a leadership, pro, one, of, one of the things I do is there's a leadership program I work on and we decided to c- continue running it online because which is great and the the university it's with wanted to do that which is fantastic and the people are getting loads and loads from it but it's a different experience yeah. um, trying to do it online and yeah i think i imagine that those clients that got the one two three days in person you know that's yeah. not something they're going to forget anytime yeah. soon right? and it takes you know we all talk about that taking somebody out of the office kind of kind of things like yeah where did you have used to do days them? i did them in various places actually partly depended on the client um so i i had um sometimes we do them in london I, there's a room that i used to rent in london but we did different things i had i remember one client who um wanted to so when i lived down in dorset and she came down and rented a little airbnb in um actually i've had a couple of clients do that i've had somebody else come down to a beach hotel and rent a room and then I'll go and we'll do it in a hotel room or in her case I remember she had a little Airbnb and we did it in the, the so so yeah so so again completely tailor-made depending on where the person is what happens to be there for us what what else they're doing what it feels like suggesting to them yeah yeah, yeah. and so but it but it allows them I guess to if you if you you know I'm aware of this with some of the the clients that I've got at the moment is I know that as soon as we finish the Zoom call, they're going to get on another Zoom call with somebody else. Right. And, 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 you know, their staff or their team, or they've got a team meeting, or they've got some other meeting, and some of my clients are like, oh, yeah, I'm sure they're spending a lot of time on, on Zoom. And so it allows the settling. And it's, it's not that I couldn't say to them, we're going to take an hour and a half, and by the way, for the last 30 minutes, I'm going to instruct you to go and walk around your block. Like, I could do that too. Um. I remember one of my supervision calls with uh, uh, was with Michael actually when I was doing my my advanced qualification. There was a moment in the call when we were talking about something. The client had got some you know she'd enjoy doing I think it was yoga. It may not have been yoga. I can't exactly remember. And I remember my class giving me in the supervision call. Did I did I get the idea to just ask her to take a break and go and do this thing? And I thought she did. I did get the idea, and I didn't. We didn't, but so yeah. So there's no like there's no rules around what we can and can't do on online. That was the Zoom, that was the Zoom call as well. So there's no yeah. there no rules around the fact that I can't tell somebody take a break, come back, get a glass of water, go and walk around the block. And you know, yeah, there's a great story. Sorry, just what comes to mind. There's a great yeah. story that um, Rich Litvin tells about when he was working with Michael Neal, and Michael was his coach or whatever, and yeah. he was like rocked up to the coaching session, and Michael asked him what he wanted to focus on. He's like, well, I want to know why I'm not writing this article. And Michael said, well, how long do you think it would take? He was like, I don't know, about an hour. And Michael said, well, you do it now. I'll go on mute. And then Michael (laughs) sat there, did something else while Rich banged out the the thing, which is a great bit of, great bit of coaching. It's a great bit of coaching. And I, 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 actually, I hadn't heard that particular story, but it's absolutely typical of Michael. I can tell you that. And, um, and, and that's how it feels that I feel like I can ask people to, 
to do that. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But I think that's the thing about the intensive is that it just, it just it, I mean, it literally is more time. So if you say we're going to go out for tea and cake or go for a walk on your own, I just need a bit of, you know, you can just make it up as you go along and you've got no clock ticking on it. Yeah. And it's, you know, a couple of other things that come to my mind. One is I, when I was starting out, I used to coach in the Royal Festival Hall quite a lot in the members area there. And yeah. like when I did that. Oh, I know that's on the South Bank, isn't it? On the it? South Bank, that yeah. Kind of wooden sort of deco pretty No, so it's in the, yeah, it's, it's in the, it's in the main bit of the South Bank Centre, which is yeah. kind of opposite, okay. um, opposite Sharon Cross and things. But it, you know, I would lost count of the number of clients who, when they, at some point during meeting them there, would say, I love coming here. But like, and they would talk about the story of how they walked along the river afterwards, taking a slightly mm. longer route back, or the, the, the traveling from the office was almost as good, you know, and it's like those things do matter. Um, and the other one is just that there's something about, you know, one of the things that is interesting to think about as, as coaches is, um, you know, people think about often you get into these conversations about paying people paying fees. And one of the things I always, you know, I've had examples of clients like this. It's like the, the, the time when they realize they're going to commit money and time for themselves is sometimes like the most important bit of the work. And yeah. in some ways, and you know, what a beautiful thing for that. I think you said a woman who came down and rented the Airbnb in Dorset. We still talk like, about the ponies, you know. <laughs> what an amazing thing for her to do, you know, for yeah. herself. And she'll never, like, that's the thing that, she, you know, how often I, uh, like twice maybe in my life, or in my adult life, have I, have I gone yeah. off on my own for some reason? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we don't often do that. And, and it's We don't, and it's an interesting, like, I, like you know, it's about the moment of commitment. So and I remember a client who wouldn't do that. He said, I'm not prepared to. To, to spend what we're going to do in these three days and, and like I knew I could have just said well we just want to do the three days and I just said to this guy no we're just going to do it and if you don't want to do it that's fine go and work with somebody else but this is if you work with me this is what we're going to do and I don't always say that but there's just something about I guess somebody's listening to this as a coach and particularly for the newer coaches something about just listening to what's true for you in that moment and and if you need to put your foot down and make a stand for something it's not um yeah it, 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 it again you don't know how things will turn out like this guy didn't work with me and yeah he could have said yeah do you know what I'm going to but to me I just felt like that's what I wanted to say in that moment the client with the you know yoga exercises or whatever in the moment I didn't follow I had the idea and I didn't follow it through and that's not again not right or wrong it just is it's so beautiful when you just have such freedom to make it up and and yeah, you just, just coming from that space of complete love and creativity and listening to somebody and just thinking what would be the thing that allows you in this moment just to settle down a bit. Yeah, and it feels like we're talking back to that attunement. Yeah. So what's relevant, right? It's like, you know, I'm sure you're not thinking this, but you're just in the moment. And it's, you know, what's the right thing to say in, in this moment to this guy who doesn't want to do the three-day intensive? Yeah. And actually, it's this. And you're not attached to what the outcome of that is. You know, again, it's not, no, the forks must be down or up or whatever. That looks so crazy. I mean, at some point we made up forks, you know. <laughs> 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 the fact 
fact that we'll be attached to them being up or down in a particular way, it looks absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> it doesn't make me really think well, about we it. We have all, all kinds it. of, our versions of those conversations happen happen here yeah. um, as well. Don't worry. It's not yeah. just you. Kathy, um, <laughs> I'm curious. So you kind of touched on what, especially coaches starting out, you know, might ask. And, you know, this interesting thing you said a few minutes ago, you, you know, over the last couple of years, what happens when you don't do anything uh, is that you end up with just a couple of clients like ticking along yeah. when you're doing things, what are you doing? Yeah. 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 Um, I know. And, and not doing anything. I mean, even that's not, that sounds like it's like a conscious not doing isn't it? And it's not that either. It's just uh, sometimes I notice my life is a bit quieter. And sometimes like at the moment it bizarrely feels a bit busier, even though I didn't feel there was any conscious decision. So I do a few, I do a few things. I found myself, um, a few years ago, uh, feeling like I was a bit disconnected. I was spending too much time in this online world and I guess the kids were maybe a bit older as well. And I thought I want to start going back, to, back to things. That was actually when I became, I think probably when, around about the time we first met, I became a fellow at the RSA and mm. thought I'm going to just show up some events in person just to meet interesting people. Um, also I had probably before that, actually, um, I had, kind of accidentally got involved in a circle of um, group of people who were curious about impact investing. One of my very, very first overseas positions back in, gosh, the late 90s, 95 or something, was setting up a microfinance um, fund. And so I was kind of curious about impact investing microfinance. It's got a bit of a, a bad rap these days. And so I was kind of curious about money and investments and how that might, in developing countries, not not uh, in the UK. So I was curious about that. So I had become involved with this group and taken over. Um, I'd set up with a, a associate, somebody I just met. We we set up a group, and so I co co led that group. So there was a there was a place a few years ago where I found myself just wanting to go out and you know do the things that seemed interesting for me. And so, but I say that because, you know, attending events and taking on something as a kind of pro bono uh, leadership role, these were things that I just felt were interesting for me. And I was just following my own curiosity and doing the things that were not about coaching or being in coaching or, you know, looking for clients or <laughs> just things. And I've got clients from both of those places and other places as well. And I, I, I don't know how true this is. It's something I find myself repeating and I don't quite know how it works, but what what I say is that I find there's something about being out in the world and just doing stuff that creates a kind of momentum. And so, you know, more clients seem to bubble up. But I think what it's probably reflecting is that my energy is in a particular phase. And so I imagine the going out in the world and doing things. Again, it sounds like an action. If you're a coach looking for clients, go out in the world and do things. And then by some miracle of magic, the clients will appear. I, I, I I think again, it's an explanation rather than a prescription. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I think there's probably a little bit of truth in it. If we think that, um, uh, if we think about the complexity again, it's like one of the things you can ask in complexity is what can I do to enable good things to happen? Like that's yeah. better than how can I control what happens? Cause in complexity, yeah. you probably can't control anything, yeah, but you could, yeah. you could, you could create some conditions and the cognition might be, you know, you know, I often find myself saying or thinking, you can be sure that if you never leave the house and never talk to anyone about the fact that you're a coach, you won't have any clients. 
So I'd say that's not. I just don't you can sure, almost anyway. be sure. <laughs> I don't know. I sometimes I mean, never leave the house, and I still have clients. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's already happened though. If if you had never told anyone you were a coach, yeah, it would be very hard to get clients. I would argue that some awareness that you do this work uh, enables more clients to exist. yeah i know i think that's true and i think but I, I wouldn't want to make it a rule i had a client that i sat next to on a plane on time and he called me about a year later and said you don't remember me but i've joined you email list after we met on the plane and yet, no yes of course like i'm out there in the world doing things there we go there's the the, the, the mailing yeah, list is yeah, the i'm exactly, out in the, the world i am a coach and someone knows yeah, there's a yeah, website you yeah, can find me yeah yeah, yeah yeah the um oh there's something i was going to say then i've just lost it It'll come back. <laughs> or, it, or it won't. And it won't. Either way, it's perfect. It won't. Yeah. And so what else? You know, It was I, the energy. I know what it was. It was oh, the yeah. energy of the good, doing good things in the world. And, and mm. one, of the, you know, one of the things that I hear in my head, you know, I hear it quietly in my head is, um, I want to say it's a Sid Banks quote, but it's one of those things that we say is like, it's like coming from the higher self. You know, I've talked about pouring love on things and, Again, it's the it's that description of the attunement. Am I coming from this sort of higher self, or am I in my personal mind? And that's the going out and doing good things in the world with a good intention. And there's something about that. And I think a lot of the to to put this around the, the going out and looking for for clients thing. We do things. We don't do things either because we don't want to do them. We just don't want to do them, and we think we should, or we somebody's told us that that's the way to do things and it's not really what we're that interested in like I don't want to go and run a marathon it just doesn't seem like the thing I want to <laughs> and yeah I could find lots of reasons why I should be going out running and I've got all this time and it's a lockdown and everybody's out there with it you know like <laughs> I, know I could make up some story about it of course but I'm fairly well tuned into what I do and don't want to do like I'm going to put that in the don't want to do box and and that might change by the way that's not a fixed thing but so there's that or else there's the we might have an interest in doing it, but we kind of put lots of imaginary obstacles in our path for that. So maybe I have a you know, curiosity about endurance running, but I'm worried about my pain or I can't get the right shoes or am I going to get mugged on the country? You know, like I put lots of obstacles in. It's going to be really hard and it's going to be, I have a lot of, in the principles say, I have a lot of thinking about it. You know, I have a lot going on in my head and I'm allowing those things to to hold me back from experimenting. So my actually on the running example, my oldest son was at, was at home for a while. Uh, you know, lives in Australia, and he said he said he's always been he's he's always been very fit and active, but he's done things like he was a big uh, road cyclist. He liked his road cycling, and he did climbing. So he's you know he's not unfit and unathletic, but he came to me one day. I've always been a runner. Mom, I'm going to run every day. <laughs> and I just laughed and I said, well, that seems like setting up a standard, you know, to fail against. Why would you even say that? Why don't you just go for a run today and then see how you feel tomorrow? And, you know, sure enough, the running lasted three days and then he decided that it wasn't his thing. But we, but we make up a lot of stuff from, from stopping ourselves, the whole spot from taking that first step. And so one of the things that I'm more tuned into in myself and I, you know, I kind of watch for it in other people and it relates to what I saw in that conversation about the election last year is where I do and don't have an agenda about something. 
in the smallest way. And I might have an agenda, but am I prepared to let it go and just take the smallest step and then see what that leads to? So, so, you know, in relation to kind of going out and doing stuff in the world and I'm sure that there are people sitting here thinking, gosh, I really love this thing called coaching and I'd like to do more of it and I'd like to do it better who could, could, get on a Zoom call with somebody. I know Rich talks about this and and just who do you want to speak to and could just do something or join the gym or put up. So, you know, I'm, at the, I'm everywhere in my life. I think about, gosh, I could just stick up a bit of paper. And, you know, I go to the gym and I think all oh, these people are forced. Why don't I just stick up a bit of paper and say, let's have a lunchtime chat about what it takes to have a wonderful experience at the gym. And, not, you know, I don't because I'm like not that interested in doing it, but I have <laughs> all of the time, like, like I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only person who has a million and one ideas, and yeah, and the, and, the, and they don't have like, to lead to anything. Yeah, and but this is, I think you know, we're you know, we're in a really interesting part of how change happens, right? That tension because it, how do you both uh, acknowledge the things you would like to happen in the future? I'm not sure if this is quite the right question, and act with kind of towards them without attachment, without so much attachment that it stops you because that's sometimes what happens with those, all those stories we tell ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a really interesting conversation with a friend recently about this, who's been going through a few, um, a few ups and downs with his, with his girlfriend partner. And we talked about exactly this. He said, well, like, I just I really love her and I really want to stay with her. And we talked about that, you know, I've been with, with my husband for a long time now and, and, we were talking a lot around attachment and engagement with something and what we want the future to look like. And and I think, I think it's one of those things which are par- paradoxical, like a lot of life appears to be nodding. <laughs> yeah, you too. Yeah. It's one of those perfect examples of a paradox, which is that I, uh, in relation to, to, to my partner, I, I cannot possibly imagine that we're going to split up and not be together until one of us. Like, it just doesn't seem there's anything that, how could that possibly happen? And yet at the same time, it could happen tomorrow. And I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> By the way, so I'm not like I'm out there, you know, looking at the neighbor and thinking, oh, you know, no, no, you're not the one. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't do that? But it's the, it's, it's so interesting. And in, in his case, what we were talking about was that line between we know when we're attached to something, it has a different feeling to it. It has a, a tightness and a stickiness and a, yeah. you know, it can push us into that like, energy or even excitement energy. Like I feel it a lot with the, you know, I talk about the no forward agenda. I feel it a lot, like with my new project, I'm talking to a friend, we're planning to do it. I get oh, all excited and we have a million and we go off and we do this and this and this and your next thing we're kind of 10 steps. Like it's exciting. And I also know that, yeah, that's really exciting. Let's, let's do that. And then let's just stop and say, okay, this is the email we're going to send. This is the thing we're going to do. And how aware am I of whether I want that to lead to something and what the touch point is. And I, th- I think it's inevitable that we will move. If we're engaged with something, I think it's inevitable that we'll move into this thing that we call attached. And as you know, as coach with the discussion, my friend was sort of laughing and saying, it's so coach, isn't it? Like attached, good, engaged, engaged, good and attached, bad. (laughs) (laughs) You know, at what point does one thing become the other? And, and, and it's not that one thing is good or bad, but it's just that the attachment is going to close us. 
into a place where we can't see the possibilities and we're not really listening to the other person because we're only listening to how much they are going to do the thing that we want them to do. So to me, it's a more closed off less. <laughs> laughing at you laughing I'm, I'm laughing yeah well it's also making me think that i always i always say it slightly differently to how it actually i can't remember who originally said it but i heard it from robert holden which is um which is, I, sticks with me which is what i try and remember in those moments when i might be getting blinkered and the quote is i'll i'll find a link to the actual quote this is not the actual quote this is my my this is the actual quote the deep world of wisdom with my five percent flavor um god spoke to me in flowers but i almost missed it because i was waiting for words yeah. It's like when exactly. we're when we're right oh down, God. we miss everything. You know, who knows yeah. what the world might be trying to? Who knows what possibilities the world might be trying to throw our way? But we miss it because we're yeah. so um, head down, blinkers on. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. The little um, I was speaking with um, somebody yesterday in a group, and we were talking about body awareness. I'm not the real kind of you know the energy Reiki. Like I'm not really in that zone, and sometimes it makes me a bit uncomfortable because I think, oh, is that like a whole new dogma of things that I should really be? You know, like, like that is just not my thing. But at the same time, I also notice how when I am more tuned into, it's a kind of a slowing down. Like I said at the beginning of the call, I've been aware the last couple of last, last week. I've had a couple of headaches, and it's like, oh, okay, I've got this headache. That's interesting. It's a it's it's a like a sensitivity to the quieter messages yeah yeah and mostly well uh, there is a pattern in modern life i don't want to say mostly because i don't know if that's true of uh moving very fast yes and so ignoring them and but not even yeah not even not even noticing them it's i don't think it's as active as ignoring sometimes it's ignoring yeah uh, but a lot of the time it's just not even noticing yeah, a coach one of mine tells a story, you know, he tells it repeatedly on stage of um, like the kids when the kids are little. And, you know, this could be anything that I noticed it with the dog as well, that when the dog pulls the newspaper off the kitchen surface and shreds it, there were 10 messages before that. The dog was just a little bit bored. And it's like the kids, you know, coming, daddy, daddy, wow. It, it's the, 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 the child didn't do that. The child asked you for something or pulled at you skirt or you know there were 10 other quiet messages which you you didn't hear or you you heard and kind of pushed away or you heard and made some logical sense out of yeah it's the so what what, what was the question the question was about attachment wasn't it and from a coaching from a coaching new coach client perspective i i think the the biggest these are terrible how-to lessons probably but the biggest thing <laughs> is just <laughs> the biggest thing is to notice because you said like you can you know you can feel it the noticing and and try and avoid like labeling one thing good, one thing bad, but just notice that's that achievement seems to be the word of the day, doesn't it? But noticing. And for me, I think there's a, where does noticing come from? And noticing is this thing that suddenly we notice and there's something before that uh, as well. And that for me is this, this kind of the innate intelligence is telling me something, you know, the, the, my body or whatever it is the signals are out there and so what might that open up for me if i'm just a little bit more present yeah an airplane going over <laughs> oh so oh here we go here we go in this moment let's do it a helicopter just went over me what's oh, the signal weird. kathy what's the yeah. signal there what, well i heard it i just heard a play i thought it was on my plane yeah, I mean nothing really. Just, just um, 
how we can be like I felt just in that moment like suddenly very present with you and then at the same time there's this outside noise and there was um I go I hope he doesn't mind me telling this story he didn't give me permission to share it but on these RSA monthly calls that, that we're running at the moment um we did one about uh, society, the individual in society. It seems to be one of the topics people were interested in talking about in relation to lockdown and corona and how suddenly we're in this sort of different feeling of society. And there was a, a guy came on the call and um, I think the question we'd gone into the small groups with was how do you know when you're in society? And so he'd come back and described the situation when he came on the call. There were some kids playing outside his window and he'd got a bit like oh you stupid kids you're disturbing me <laughs> you know because we talked about about the feeling and that feeling of being connected and I noticed a lot of people wanted to make it a nice thing society is this good thing and then he described these kids outside his window but what was <laughs> what was even more interesting was in the moment he was describing he was describing something which he had you know felt in his experience at the beginning of this call 20 minutes in we've been in these groups he's coming back he's in that moment I don't know if the kids were still outside his window or not but he was he was completely present with us and it was a funny, he wasn't in his irritation that he'd been 20 minutes ago. He was just right there relating this story of this irritation. And so quickly in a kind of society context or in an individual context, we leap to make meaning and take action on this thing that's already been gone. <laughs> right. Yeah. They need asbos and they need a curfew and they shouldn't be playing <laughs> in my garden. You know, like they should put sound walls up at the school across the road that you said we might hear. You know, it's like, really? <laughs> what if it just you just heard it and it didn't mean anything? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's another kind of paradox, isn't it? It's like I just think I think there's a paradox there because we've just kind of said, listen for the signal from the universe. Any any noise could mean anything. And then we're saying and laughing about, and don't make too much meaning out of things, because like you'll just be thinking about those kids for the next 10 hours or 10 days. Are you, st are you really still angry about the forks and the kids outside and the helicopters that always go over in the middle of podcast recordings or whatever it is, you know? But it's a, it's a, that's, a, yeah, no, it's absolutely paradoxical. It's exactly the sort of thing a client might say, yes, but Kathy, how do I make sense of this? Yeah. What, what are you would telling you say, me to what listen? Would you say to them, Kathy? I don't. I don't know. But I. 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 Um, to me, there's a difference between. I suppose it comes back to that. Am I my higher self? Kind of question. And there's a difference in the energy we're carrying around the forks and the helicopter and the noisy kids in the playground, or the political party that's you know so against my values and these idiots that we seem to have. <laughs> Number ten. Apologies to anybody who's a Boris supporter, but uh, he's not universally an idiot, I'm sure. Um, it's I'm, so I'm not sure funny. I believe that you think that. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, as I'm saying it. I think, no, I do genuinely, I, I do genuinely believe that, that nobody is completely, I feel, most of the time, actually, I feel, I just feel kind of despairing for how he must experience his life feeling like he's you know got this image of himself i'm guessing obviously i don't know him personally but he looks like somebody who carries his persona quite quite as if it's quite real so the listening for signals i think there's a difference between 
And again, the feeling of knowing that I'm getting agitated about the kids outside versus really. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I didn't know that um, higher self might be Sid Banks. I, it may not be. I love, I love a, that phrase. And I, a... it's in one of the books I'm working on at the moment to describe exactly this, this feeling, you know, and I was trying and to think what's the not sense the first that... person who said it. Of course not. Of course not. But it's a nice, it might, well, if it is him, it's a nice little bit of symmetry. I think I first heard it from Stephen Pressfield in the war of art. Um, but it's a great, I like that. For some reason, I really like that phrase as one to describe what you were talking about with being able to attune to what's relevant, what like um, Jordan Hall, like I say, he called it being yeah, sovereign, but, sovereign yeah. but yeah, for me, there's definitely a different feeling and we, we can, and I know if, well, if I'm able to, if I'm able to, if I'm going slow enough to notice, then I know when I'm in that and when I'm not. And when the conversation about forks is about, you know, it's not, about, you know, it's not really about forks when it's, it feels like it's about existence, you know, in, in yeah. some way. And yeah. when it's a conversation you know, between two people who are feeling pretty close to that higher self. And it's actually is about, you know, playfully about forks, which is quite nice. Yeah. Which is, which is funny. And, and Robert Holt talks about love a lot. He's the, mm. the, the love guy as much as anything. And I, and I, mm-hmm. I wanted, I wanted to say that out loud because words like sovereign, yeah. which actually, interestingly, it's, I remember a couple of years ago, I was um, doing some, I was with a friend of mine, but we were looking at how I kind of communicate what I do. And she, she used that word um, she said, oh, it sounds like you're getting people. And I didn't take it on and I didn't use it because for me it felt a bit more kind of macho ego as a word. It felt like I'm this kind of sovereign, you know, the king sort of empire. It had that kind of connotations with it. And so w- w- I, the reason I'm saying that loud is because that word had particular connotations. Yeah. Like, well, that's I, not that's well, not how I heard you say it and that's no, not how I, mean, I heard what, you describe it. But what's interesting about that, because of course within Britain, um, for people who are really anti-Brexit, it's a tough word because it was a Brexit argument. So if ever, mm. anyone who's a Remainer listening, probably as soon as they heard me say the word sovereignty started, I don't know, having uh-huh. flashbacks to Nigel Farage. But what was really interesting, when I discovered, I, was talking to my, I think it was my mum sent me this thing. It was definitely my mum who sent me this thing. Um, I'm going to butcher it now, but I'll find it and attach it. But it was like, it was a, an essay written by a woman who studied Celtic goddesses about mm. the god, I'm pretty sure about the goddess sovereignty. Okay. And how it's so interesting, right, that you bring it in as a, that it does have and can have a macho feel and the sovereign being the king and all that kind of thing. And it was really interesting to try and, you know, listen for, okay, well, how are this kind of weird American futurist that I've stumbled across and, uh, <laughs> and this essay about Celtic goddesses talking about the same thing? Are they? And where does that? Yeah, and it up? sounds like they are. And I, and I think the reason I want to kind of emphasize the word point is it's not about finding the right word. Mm. And, 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 and there are a lot of people I know in my coaching circles, a lot of people, let me say it's differently. There are people I'm very close to in my coaching circles who place a lot of emphasis on the word. And I feel like I go more and more in the other direction. And Michael talks about this and you know, this kind of this higher self, this thing that we're pointing to, he talks about it like pointing to fire with ice. It's almost like the nearer you get to it, the harder mm-hmm. it is. And I and I wonder if it's a thing in English. Do we just not have the the right words? I was talking with this 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 friend and colleague that we might do we might do something on these provocative questions for social change. And she's she's not a principles person. She's not a coach. She's in a completely different world, world of technology. And um, she uh, she was brought up in a very kind of spiritual household. Her parents are Hindu, or at least one of her parents is Hindu. Um, 
And I said, what would, what would your word be for it? And she said, she said, I don't know, really. I just wanted to do some kind of, you know, like nice fancy uh, word that would feel very wonderful. Mm-hmm. And she, eventually she said, well, divinity, I guess, is what we would call it. And, and so, you know, we, whether we call it sovereign, divinity, higher self, love, it feels like we, it, if somebody can listen to what we're talking about rather than what any of the words might trigger for them, yeah. I think they'll be closer to it. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful uh, way to talk about this thing, which, yeah, you're right, has been, it turns out, uh, unplanned, (laughs) has been the topic of uh, this podcast to a certain extent. I'm aware, Kathy, that we're almost kind of probably at time. Before we finish, is there anything that you... You know, I'm curious what's coming up for you a little bit, but also if there's anything else that you just wanted to share before we finish. Um, it feels like, and I'll say this for, I guess, for the benefit of coaches, it feels like I'm on this never ending journey. You know, all of the things that we're talking about are things that are so present for me. I'm not talking about them because they're kind of interesting conceptual points. It's because these are the points that seem to, I, I seem to want to, to keep going deeper with. And this, I know we didn't talk much, but we talked a bit at the beginning about this overlap between the leverage that we have with the concrete nature of circumstances and what we do versus the some of the you know the, the higher higher self and the internal and the uh, the more freedom of mind focused discussion like like that for me that's a really interesting place to bring my you know, different different parts of what I've done together and to wonder how to like what that looks like in other people I guess wonder how to kind of bring that into something that is a conversation with other people that just looks really interesting so I'm saying that because like these are things that are interesting to me and you know you as a coach or whatever listening to this you'll have the things that are interesting to you and what's been really most productive for me has been going deeper with this exploration and um and seeing the difference between a, an understanding of how we work as people, which I think is what all coaches, ultimately, I think that is what coaching is. Seeing the difference between that versus the, the kind of concrete skills and rules of the games that we choose to play in the world. And I think sometimes, sometimes for, you know, I can only say this is true for me, but I can see where those things have become confused. And when I've seen the difference in them, that's been very freeing for me. So in business is one of those where it feels like everything gets mixed together. And actually, when we see something new, if I want to go and I was out kayaking, actually with my neighbor last night, I'm not very good at kayaking. And I said, oh, you know, feel free to give me kayaking tips, which is very, very generously withheld from me. Criticizing my kayaking technique. Like clearly there's a kayaking technique that if he said do this and hold your paddle this way, and generally we found that this works like better. There's some technique stuff. And then there's some presence as well. Like I noticed, and partly perhaps because he wasn't giving me a lot of the technique tips. Me being present with the river, we started off going upstream. And so the 
kind of has a tendency to go this way and that way and I'm being the water's flowing against me and it was just it, it was just interesting being in the river and noticing the flow of the water and noticing my response and what worked better and what didn't work better you know and knowing that there was a technique I wasn't bothered that he didn't give me any technique for kayaking just sitting there enjoying the birds more than anything but but like the separation of those two things are both helpful and they are different and I can play one game and I can play the other game and I can bring them together and, and have an incredible experience. But it's for me, it's the, it's the being present is the thing that I'm most interested in exploring. But that doesn't mean that there are not concrete things that are the rules of the games that we choose to make up this thing we call kayaking with a boat a certain shape and these stupid metal <laughs> things with plastic bits on the end like we made it up and it works better if we use them this way oh what fun yeah. <laughs> you know, it was the engaging in the game and not just the contemplation so i think for coaches i guess what i'd say see the difference between those two and take on the concrete stuff as much as you want but just realize it's all made up and have fun with it and and yeah play both games <laughs> Yeah, it's great. I mean, just like you say, even noticing that it's a made-up game. You know, you talked about uncoupling money and coaching before. Yeah. You know, it's a game you're playing. When when you say they are paying for me and my value is dependent on the money they're paying, that's, that's just, a made-up game. That's just nonsense. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just crazy nonsense. Kathy, before we finish, I realised I didn't ask before. If people are really interested in the three principles, where where do you point them, or where would you point them? Oh, we talked about Michael a lot. Um, I think is Michael's it him? A, I mean, I think I think the Inside Out Revolution is his. Is that his book yeah, that kind of brings has, that to he life? He has a couple of books. Actually, I've got it on my desk at the moment. I, I'll point to Michael, but there are lots of people. There's I've got the yeah. Inside Out Revolution. No. Desk. My favourite of his books actually is the Space Within, which is kind of over there somewhere. I listen to it on audio. All his books are very accessible. They're quite short. They're very easy to read. It's a very entertaining guy to listen to. Some people get a bit turned off because they think it's a bit too intellectual or not deep enough or. And it's not that the depth isn't there. That's just that's yeah. just what they he, you know we, we so so he's not obviously everybody's particular flavour, but I think he's very accessible. And I think for coaches particularly, because he's one of the few principles practitioners who who talk about the, the principle in a coaching context. There are others, but a lot of the general conversation around the principles is not about implementation in the the world that we know as coaching. Mike obviously does that, and he's got a super coach academy. So that's for coaches, probably a good first entry. And then there's an organization called the, um, the, the, the three PGC, the, the three principles, global community who a bit, it's much more general. And actually they, if you, if you go on something like, I think on YouTube, they have a, they do webinars association principles practitioners can join but they they publish all of their webinars on youtube so you'll find a lot of people that you've never heard of having conversations that make you know that's <laughs> miles over your head but if that's something that you're curious about you've just described another, youtube as a whole isn't it it's yeah, just millions yeah. of people you've never heard of but, yeah. but great it's good to know <laughs> exactly. that there's that resource there. but but i think i think in in general as a general because people you know find different principles practitioners like their flavor and you'll find a lot of a lot of different people talking about the same exact same thing at the end of the day um so that's a that's a di if you find michael's not your cup of tea then go to 3pgc on, on youtube and find out somebody's flavor of tea you haven't to like <laughs> nice nice obviously that's only one part of a brilliant wide-ranging conversation kathy um but thanks so thanks so much for playing in all these different ways and spaces um it's been a total pleasure to have this conversation with you there are probably a bunch of other little uh forks that we could have gone down but for sure yeah <laughs> thanks so much
And yeah, I'll see you again. And I'll, I'll, I should say, actually, because we have touched on a lot of things. For anyone listening, I will put, like I uh, said so this as we go, I will put links to the things I can in at, at thecoachesjourney.com. But other than that, Kathy, thanks. And until next time. Thanks, Robbie.